0: Meet Jason Criddle, Christian father, husband, investor, endurance uh, athlete, and international bestseller author of uh, Outgrow, Become Valuable. We will be discussing that in depth today in today's topic of investment worthy. Uh, He is the founder of Smarter Commerce, Smarter Marketing, and Jason Criddle and Associates, and has helped thousands of businesses and entrepreneurs grow their revenue. On This Week with Savir, Jason and I will dive into his strategies and tactics on how to build investment-worthy companies. Let's crack the code with Jason Criddle. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: What's up, man? I'm ready to do some code cracking, brother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, So how did your background, like I said in your bio, Christian father, husband, uh, businessman lead you to become a successful investor and international best-selling author. Every superhero has a backstory. Tell me yours, brother.
1: Yeah, I think every superhero has a backstory. And then every superhero kind of has a moment where they look in their mirror and they realize that their body changed. You know, like Spider-Man, he's like this skinny kid. And then he gets bit by a spider and he wakes up in the morning and he sees himself. And he's like, whoa, like I have pecs and I have arms and stuff. And so... You know being a father being a a christian uh trying better to uh trying each and every day to be a better person like i really do have this superhero costume that i so to speak put on every day and uh that superhero costume starts with waking my butt up early and going to the gym you know and if you back up 10 or 12 years ago i was not this guy i was a bouncing anywhere between 360 to 410 pounds and I I had jobs that allowed me to smoke cigarettes and kind of be lazy all day and then whenever my little girl started walking again or once she started walking for the first time that was really what opened up my eyes to who she has a chance at becoming you know and at the time like she was going to become like this you know this fat, angry dad guy, <laughs> you know, this fat, angry dad girl. And so I just couldn't have that. And so it was, uh, it was back around 2012, when I really started to focus on fitness, uh, started to focus on gaining my confidence and my sense of self. And brother, that led to speaking to groups of people writing books, uh, ri- writing books that eventually became bestsellers on Amazon, um, and starting companies. And, and also, it's, it's led to us doing this interview together. So I guess I'm doing all right, man.
0: Sounds great. So uh, I want to ask you about this book specifically, you know, on, on the screen. It's uh, think Outsmart, Outwork, Outgrow, and Become Valuable. By the way, it is available, I believe, on, on Amazon as a Kindle and a paperback. And I believe it's available on other, where wherever books are sold. So definitely check out this book. So wh- what was the inspiration behind this book? And, and wh- what do you hope at a high level, like what, what the readers should take away from this book?
1: Yeah. So, so I think that as a society, especially like we're getting angrier, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I like to say that the, that the, we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create adversity in our own lives. Right. And the reason why we're trying to do is because of biological reasons, we could talk about fight or flight or, uh, or how um, dopamine works and how, Uh, cortisol works and everything. But at the end of the day, human beings, we're not pushing ourselves and we're not challenging ourselves anymore. And so every day we wake up and we walk to the fridge that feeds us. And then we uh, go sit down at a desk and work through an eight-hour day in comfort. And then we get off of work and we sit down and we watch TV until we fall asleep. And so this average everyday life that people live, it doesn't really challenge us whatsoever at all. And so one of the reasons why fitness was a huge stepping stone for me in business is because it made me realize that I, I'm solely responsible for the challenges that I face on a regular basis, especially if I'm not being challenged by any outside sources. And so my ability to go into the gym and work like a dog and beat myself down to the points where I'm physically tired. I'm not capable of really doing a whole lot besides eating after I leave from the gym. These are things that we can apply everywhere in life. We can actually make the decision to beat ourselves down into what does it take for me to become a better father today? We can beat ourselves down into how can I be a better partner to my spouse or to my business partner? And so outgrow is really just a reminder to me, you know, um to take that chance each and every moment that you can, whenever you think about it, of course, to outgrow yourself. So outgrow yourself today, outgrow yourself in any moment that you think about it. And most of all, I mean, don't spend weeks or months or months or years working on issues that that can be solved. If you take a step back and realize that it's probably a moment of weakness and ask somebody else for help, you know, and that's that's really what this show is about, you know, is uh, is you're having experts come on here that, but yeah, we might be really good at what we do. But I think one of the good things that or one of the major um, traits that a lot of your guests have is being able to realize that they're really good at what they do and finding other people that are good at the things that they're not good at. And bringing those t- people together to work as a team.
0: I mean, we'll definitely dive into those kind of traits, and and you hit a, a nail on the head right there. You know, because uh, a lot of entrepreneurs they get in their own way when they believe that they can do everything, right? Right. And then that tends to be their downfall. That tends to be the thing that actually made them fail in that venture. It was not that the the idea was bad, or the or the, what they were working on was bad. The, the problem was they didn't realize fast enough what they're really good at, extremely good at, focus on that like 24 seven for 365 days out of the year and then find the other people who can complement them uh, uh, in this venture. So we will definitely dive, let's dive into, and like you said, crack some eggs and and some code today, right? Uh, right. What are some of the, what are the, some of the, like the basic, key strategies you think are, are for building an investment worthy, uh, company?
1: Well, um, what, one of the things is what we're talking about right now, you know, whenever somebody tells me that I have seen a lot of business plans, uh, well over 10,000. Uh, Mm -hmm. and whenever somebody tells me that, oh, they're the CEO and the founder of this company. Right. And, uh, and then you find out that they're the only ones working for the company. Well, of course you're CEO, (laughs) but you know, let's, let's not put in, let's not talk about the fact that a CEO is a board appointed position and you have to have many people together to put votes together in order to make you and appoint you the CEO. We won't get into that. But one of the very first things that stands out is that self appointed CEO that has decided that they're going to build this company on their own. And they have not elicited the help of other people. Well, That tells me two things, and it tells an investor a couple of different things. One, it tells me that your business is not scalable. The main reason is is because your business is you. And in order for a business to be a business, a business owner needs to be able to walk away from it for a week or a month or a year and then walk back to it. And then the business has grown exceptionally, even without that business owner being there. That's a business. But another thing is, is it tells an investor that you aren't ready to give up control. And so whenever you ask somebody to invest in your money or invest in your company, whether they're taking 10% or 20 or 30%, yes, they're giving you money, but in exchange for that money, they are also taking control away from you. They're taking control away from the company and they're taking upon themselves the ability to answer questions for the company that they might not necessarily think that you are able to answer and so that that desire to outgrow yourself it i mean it's it's gonna see we're gonna talk about it all throughout this interview and we're not even trying to do it on purpose because at some point we have to let go and we have to realize that if i want this company to be something then Like Mark Cuban says, 50% of nothing, something is more than 100% of nothing. Like we have to be able to give up control. We have to be able to realize that we might not know everything. And then through the realization that we might not know everything, we have the ability to grow. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. There's nothing wrong with somebody that knows more about you or knows more about a situation that you could possibly be facing. There's nothing wrong with them telling you how to get through that and how to grow through that. You know, even last week, whenever we did our little talk, we were talking about an investor that I was going to get on the phone and close and dude, I'm this close to closing him. But you know what? This close still needed more paperwork in the way. It still needed more diligence in the way. And so even though I have another, a follow-up phone call with him today, three or four days later, there were things that happened in that conversation that I was not ready for that he was. And I could have, hung up the phone and I could have been like, oh, well, screw him. I'll just go find somebody else that doesn't ask those questions. But how silly would that be to, to dismiss the opportunity to learn something about myself that can make me greater later on? And believe me, brother, we had this, this, this bit of a conversation or this small of a conversation, but that little bit of a conversation kept me wired and going for three or four solid days to the point to where I'm fired up that we're doing this interview, but at the same time I'm like, I'm gonna be on the phone with that guy five and a half more hours and I'm just watching the time count down you know so so yeah, man, take advantage of those opportunities to be wrong. That's one of the that's one of the biggest ways that we can grow our business big.
0: You know I think Jason, uh, and I do come across uh, uh, I do it you do it from the investor perspective. I do, do it from a strategy consulting to help businesses grow, right? what I find is the, the founders that thrive in their businesses have realized what they're really good at. Right. For example, uh, and, and this is how usually the story starts, right? Jason, like, Oh, uh, I was working for XYZ company, Cisco, at and Time Warner, whatever, Pepsi, Coke. And I always thought of XYZ, whatever that ABC thing is that they were thinking about. Right. Uh, and, um, so i, I cr- decided to create that thing in my basement Oh, uh, you know sure. i was working nine to six for my employer but six to nine was my time and and i was working on that thing all right what in that journey what they should realize is what they're extremely good at it could be product creation it could be marketing it could be sales it could be but the thing is as being a ceo or being the you know the, that like the the president of the company those are very specific functions. Right. And if you don't have that, like if you came came up the ranks and, and you were, uh, let's say for a small to medium sized business, you became a CEO and, and you paid your dues over time. Right. So that you know what a VP does, you know what a SVP does, what, what a CMO does, what a COO, what the CEO does. And then you went through that those and you were given those titles because of your experience and stuff like that, okay, maybe, yes, you are, you could be a CEO and a president. But if you're extremely good at what you do, and and the typical example that I use is, let's say you are a phenomenal chef. Doesn't mean you can run the restaurant.
1: Right, right. You
0: could be in the, in the back of the kitchen, uh, you know, conco- concocting all of these amazing recipes, like fusions and all sorts of things like that. There's, that doesn't mean that you could be in the front of the house doing marketing, bringing assets in seats, right, to book right. that restaurant constantly, completely a different skill set. And, and that's, a, that's one example of it that's very, very clear. And in most cases, uh, that's what gets in the way. In, in your opinion, like how many of those things actually not only they, the, the founder is uh, getting in their own way but they actually get in the way of a potential investor, not investing because they are occupying that seat.
1: It it happens all the time because then as an investor, I'm gonna be asking myself, what value do you see that I can possibly bring to the company when apparently you know everything already? And, you know, I, I think that the chef, I think that the chef the chef, uh, the chef analogy is a really, really good example because I'm a chef myself, and I've also met a whole lot of chefs that we don't we don't do really well with honest feedback. And so, whenever you take that dish that you think is amazing, and somebody says, "Well, this is great, but I feel it has a little bit too much salt," or something like that, well, your average chef might really want to wring somebody's neck. But the reason why the the restaurant employ employees the waitress that does not have any kind of bias or any kind of emotional opinion about how what you share with the food, those things speak volumes. And so, like you said, a person that appoints themselves a CEO of a company that doesn't really exist, the reason why they're doing that is because they believe that by putting myself as the CEO, that tells everybody that I'm in charge and that I know what to do. But the problem is, is you don't need to do everything you don't need to know how to do everything and what is that they say a jack of all trades is a master of none and so the way that i feel about delegation and this might be like a new way that you've heard it a lot of people say that we need to delegate tasks based off of what we think those other people are good at i believe that we need to delegate tasks based off of how much money do we want to be making right now while not doing that task? And so it's a different way to think about it. Like I'm not giving this job to my personal assistant that makes $15 an hour because it's busy work that she can handle. I'm giving that job to my personal assistant because I can otherwise be making $5,000 an hour right now. And so giving up that control being able to delegate, those are all ways that we stay in control of our business instead of feeling like we're losing control. Does that make sense?
0: Totally, totally. You know the um, I, I want to go into an extreme example, right? Um, uh, and the, an example, because I've done these kind of turnovers, uh, turnarounds quite a lot over the over my career and companies that are, at the, are either at the brink or they've already gone bankrupt and uh, bankruptcy and, and they're going through kind of a, some sort of a reorganization or maybe it's an asset sale. You know, I've been involved in, in multiple of those scenarios. Can you give a, like a, can you share an example from your experience related to that where the turnaround went from like a sad story, bankrupt story to you know, amazing success?
1: Yeah, yeah, one that uh, one that comes to mind uh, that I like to use as a teachable moment is uh, an article that I wrote on Forbes where I talk about this chiropractor that I was helping. And so, one thing that I've always found fascinating about chiropractors, or most, not even chiropractors—I don't want any chiropractors thing—I'm picking on them. But you know, you just spent five years in school and you came out and you put an ad in the paper. Uh, just like every other chiropractor within five miles, and you put your office together just like every other chiropractor within five miles, and it looks the same. Like Literally, everything is absolutely the same to the point to where now I have no discernible reason to go to you, that specific chiropractor, as opposed to going to any other chiropractor. We can touch more on that later, but let me give you this example. So I had this chiropractor who he and his wife, they own their business. She was a massage therapist and they somehow came up with this idea that the best way for them to get new leads into their chiropractic business were to go give massages to people. And so they were driving to grocery stores and apartment complexes and office buildings and they were setting up a massage chair and they would give clients massages for free. Or potential clients, massages for free, while the wife would, while the husband was sitting there talking to them about their bone density and you know some chiropractic knowledge that that person didn't care about. They just wanted the free massage, and so they did this for a year. I mean, they were hitting up two to three, five places a day for a year. Wow. They were getting zero leads from it, and then on, on top of that, one of the major problems was. They were spending so much time out of the office that whenever walk-ups would come to their office, there was nobody there to talk to the walk-up. So in their attempt to go get more clients, they were losing clients and they were losing time. So we sit down and we discussed me, you know, putting together a strategy for them to help them scale their clients and bring on more customers before they filed bankruptcy. I mean, their, their their office was about to close. These people had so many kids, so many beautiful children, and they were about to lose their house. I mean, they were at their wits end. So I asked them, where did you guys come up with the idea that massaging people would bring you more leads? And they said that 90% of their business was coming from two massage therapists that were referring customers to them. Okay, so let's think about that. So they had two people that were really good at massages sending them chiropractic clients. And then they thought that they could cut out the massage therapist by going and just giving massages on their own. Well, obviously, if we have two com- two two massage therapists that are giving us the majority of our business, then by us doing massages, we're going to get our business even more. But the problem is, is they were chiropractors, right? They're really good at being chiropractors. What they're not good at is obtaining customers and getting referrals. So what I did a whole year of them wasting all that time later is we went into the yellow pages back then. It was, uh, was it, it was, it was like yellowpages.com or something, yp.com. And we found all the massage therapists within a five mile radius of them. And we called them, we just called the massage therapists and we asked, Hey, we're this chiropractic office. If we, you know, if we can set up some kind of referral fee, if we can do whatever we can to work together, can you guys start sending us clients severe? That was it. (laughs) That was it. They didn't need to go out and pretend that they were massage therapists that could offer all this value by giving free massages. They just needed more referral partners. So then they went from having two massage therapists helping them to having dozens of massage therapists helping them. They were getting like four to eight appointments per month, and now they're getting 60 appointments per month. Within like three or four months, they ended up Like selling their company to one of these bigger chiropractic offices that are opening up, where they're taking, they're buying out successful practices from doctors, and so it's so funny how that ties into exactly what we were talking about. Whenever we started, they were unwilling to give up control. They were they were unwilling to realize that they were really really good at something, and the thing that they weren't good at, they just needed to put somebody else in charge of that. By me not having an emotional tie-in to the problems that they were facing, I was able to come in and provide a logical solution within minutes that we applied that day. you know, And within 30 to 60 days, they're making more money hand over fist than they were before I went in there. And so it's just a good lesson and outgrowing yourself, you know, and they also had that opportunity. And and I'm sure you see it a lot, that aha moment, like whenever you're talking to a client, and you realize that they realized something they didn't know before. And it just makes things easier, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I classified that as a uh, expensive decision a year ago, right? Expensive decision. Because you think that you know there's a, there's always a cliche saying that like uh, you know to cut your nose to spite your face or something like that, you know, right. I'm really not good at with those kind of analogies. <laughs> but uh, uh, when when you decide that, I think the thought process and and let's go through that thought process, right? The entrepreneur says, "Oh, you know what, why am I giving twenty percent to this massage therapist? you know, We, You and I, Linda, you and I can go, husband and wife, right? Linda, you and I can go and and we can go and and do these things. I know, I know. You know what? We should hit up office parks and this and that. And we can talk to HR directors and stuff like that. I bet that, you know, it will cost us less than 20%. And we get to keep that. The problem with Linda is that one, she is not a massage therapist or a successful one at all, you know? Uh, And and if if that's your first in with that person and you're not giving a good massage, you're basically breaking the person's back or something like that. Why would they trust you that you would be a good chiropractor? You just gave you just damaged them (laughs) through bad massage.
1: (laughs) Right. 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 And not only that, but you basically you're presenting me with a sales pitch. My my massage therapist, I I cultivated years of a relationship. She knows exactly how I like my back to be worked. You know, she knows that I have problems with my shoulder girdle on my left side. Like these are all things that they weren't thinking about. They just figured, man, if we just go buy a hundred dollar massage chair and slap it in front of people and we spend five minutes with them, then we're going to end up with customers. While not thinking about the exact reasons why people go to their massage therapist as opposed to why people go to see a chiropractor,
0: I mean, it's also history, credibility. I mean, I trust that, you know what, uh, my back was out all the time. This massage therapist, for the past six months, I've been working with her. She's amazing, right? And then Mm -hmm. she says to me, Oh, by the way, I noticed uh, you could help, you can get some help on the chiropractic side. I have a recommendation for you. I, I would recommend going and check checking out adjacent the chiropractor. That's an easier sell because the person is already sold on the massage therapist. You have right. zero credibility on the on that massage chair at the mall that nobody knows and go like, oh, wow, the mall is giving us free massages. Not even right. that your business is giving anything related to chiropractor. The, right. the mall is giving this free service, you know, so that there's yeah. a lot of miss in that. So let's jump to small mistakes that turn very expensive for businesses. Can, mm-hmm. can you share, like, uh, you know, it's, it's about uh, not sweating the small stuff, but then small mistakes that lead to gigantic uh, problems for, for businesses.
1: Yeah, man, I, uh, I've had the talk a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I think that seeking perfection uh, really, really takes a lot of money out of entrepreneurs' pockets. Um, you know, uh, even last week I was having a talk with a, a potential investor and she and I were talking about, um, uh, just a, a guy designing a logo. And it made me think of, I had this situation a few years ago where a girl came to me and she was like, I, I know that you have knowledge with building apps and websites and online businesses. And so I want to talk to you about a business that I have. And it doesn't matter what the business was. So she needed a some special technology in order for this app to get up and running. And she asked me, like, if we were to hire a developer, we were to, you know, hire graphics and everything, how much would this cost? And so I put together roundabout number four, and she invested a little over $12,000 to start building out this app, this technology and everything. And I told her that the only way that I could feasibly see myself helping her with it is if she realized that she has a full-time job and no knowledge of building any businesses online and that that's why she came to me. So we decided that we're going to be 50-50 partners. She's going to take care of some of the marketing efforts after I basically build out this entire online tool for them. Well, man, (laughs) over the course of the next few days, I mean, like, We built the logo, we built the website, we built the initial stages of the app. We hired a voice actor. We had like the script read for the commercial. We had two different commercials that were ready to go out on the market. Um, This special chat, uh, this special chat widget that they want in their app. Like we spent so much money on that. So like she came to me because I'm the expert in putting together the infrastructure for the online business. And she had the idea, you know, so After I'm so excited to show her these commercials and I'm so excited to show her everything that we've accomplished in just a few days. Then it comes out that she actually had the idea at dinner while she was talking with a friend. And then she told that friend that she partnered up with me and that friend wanted to be involved. So I know that, Jason, you've done a whole lot of work on this project, but could we reorganize how we're doing things? And could each one of us become like a 33% equal partner? And so even though I didn't want to do it, I told her that I'd be more than willing to entertain a conversation where we decide if this is the direction that we want to go. So then another few days goes by, lost time, lost money, right? She and I finally get on a conference call with the friend. And we went through all the videos again. We went through everything that we've accomplished in the last few days. That's now been a week, and this is how we're going to market it going forward. And then it came out that she didn't like the color, not the color. There were, The logo was three or four colors, and she didn't like one of the secondary colors of the logo. So now me, businessman, that has all the knowledge of starting the infrastructure, now this Phone call has is no longer a conference call about this company. And it's me listening to two friends argue over the color of the logo. And after about 10 or 15 minutes of being on that call, I had more important stuff to do. I got off the call. I asked for updates days later. I asked for updates weeks later this entire way that she smartly organized the business with me turned into such a huge feud between her and her friend that they completely walked away from their $12,000 that they invested. They completely walked away from the business idea because they decided that they could no longer work together. Well, from my perspective... That was all I needed to make the decision that I no longer needed to work with either of them. You see what I'm saying? And so it's not even that, you know, that she was trying to save face with me by telling me that she separated from the friend. It told me that she cannot logically make business decisions that need to be made in order for this company to make money. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make, especially when they're talking, you know, severe like you, you do strategy. You know, me, I put together infrastructure. All these things are logical and they require no emotion. They don't, you know, while I understand that somebody might've gone through a couple of divorces to create a company, they're coming to me because I'm not gonna divorce them to create the company. You know what I mean? Once we're paid, then we put together the infrastructure and we push it out for them to run the business. And so these little things, the, the, lack of giving up control, the seeking perfection, what it does is it really just tells people that you don't know about business. And in order for me to partner with a business, there has to be a business there.
0: Hmm. There are several lessons there though. You know, I let, let me unpack that with you. Right. Number one, Friends becoming friends or family becoming your business partner. That's, that's a gigantic leap. Okay. Right. Right. (laughs) That's a gigantic leap. So that's number one. Uh, I do work with a lot of family businesses where it's a family generational businesses that in most cases, the problem is between family members, you know, has nothing to do with the business, you know, so that if, if that friendship was rocky to begin with, uh, now you're pushing things on me. You never listen to me. All of those things will surface even more because you're trying to talk about an, a very non-emotional discussion, a logical discussion, with a person that has an emotional relationship with you. Right. So they take that to mean that you're attacking them.
1: You're yes. attacking
0: their idea and you think they are stupid. It's a bad idea, whatever. That's how they're hearing it. You know, when it comes from when it comes from you, oh, the professional Jason or Sabir, that's what they told us, this is what she, we should be doing. Versus two friends, I'm not going to listen to you. Like you, you've you always done this all your life, whatever. And then it turns into an emotional fight. So that's number one. Now, number two, I, I, I think that involving a friend, like why, what contribution would they have given you for 33% of the business? Like, could you have paid them a minimum wage or paid them, or talk to you and say, hey, you know, I have a friend who is amazing at colors and logos, and she gave us an opinion on the secondary color, you know? Can right. we pay her for to consult and give us a better, more emotionally connected colored <laughs> logo, right? You see how I'm making it very specific? Right, I could have right. created a paragraph on Fiverr and had 500 people bid on that, and get one of the people who may have created the next logo for Pepsi, you know, on Fiverr, you know, or Upwork or something, you know, you have to like make that sort of a decision completely unemotional and say, okay, so that's number two. Number three, if your priority is a secondary color on a logo, we don't have a business. Right. Business card, website, creating the logo, uh, what t-shirts? What should our t-shirts say? Hats. You're mimicking the aspect of running a business, pretending to have a business. Right. I, I, I've worked with entrepreneurs that I'll, I'll give you an example. One of my clients is a colorectal surgeon in Tampa, Florida. Phenomenal guy, really intelligent. Worked on his product concept for 10 years. They didn't even have a name for the business. To make sure that he had the right formulation all of that stuff and then i got involved and then i started making the right moves on what needed to be done first versus number 50. the logo you know we when did we need it when we needed to have it on a a product label not even on a website (laughs) because the sticker was due we needed to create the logo for it that's when we decided on the logo right i think priorities and for Uh, uh, first-time entrepreneurs, especially, right, when they have a concept like that, prioritizing what's important and what's not important and and a lot of the small, small stuff that's not important to be done, decisions that don't need to be made right now or even people that you want to bring on, you already had an agreement with Jason for 50-50 partnership. You know, unless unless you bring a friend who, who has taken a business from zero to 1 billion with all birds and say, Oh, I'm friends with them right now. They're just retiring from that position and they, they are looking for their next project. Uh, you know, I would li- love to bring them on to become a third partner. Jason, I think you would just stand up and go like, Oh my God, just bring them on. Yes. Yes. That's right, perfect. Right.
1: Well, yeah, I'd be like, why are you coming to me when you had them, you know, like I'll take less of a percentage to have that person involved.
0: Yeah, But I'll, like I'll you said, part
1: of mine, you know? 33% of a company, when nobody knows what kind of value that person can bring, you know, especially whenever I find out that that person has another full time job and they can't, they can't dedicate 33% of their time to building this company. Yeah. No, you're exactly right, brother.
0: Yeah. So those are the kind of uh, questions that when, I, when I'm going through them with, with other entrepreneurs that hire me to. Uh, work with them on their growth there are tough questions like that that i go through like you know what there's a reason why you hired me right right one i'm not emotionally connected to your business so i'm going to uh, see exactly what needs to be done the tough decision you have to make is are you going to follow through on those decisions and some of them are going to be very very tough in some cases you know the husband was not the right person to be in the company uh, you know, if they're phenomenal, just let them go and get a paycheck so that there's less risk in your life, you know, in your personal life. Or the wife was, you know, not not the right right mix for the company either. Maybe she was turning off all, you know, talented people that you wanted to bring on and she was turning them off or clients or whatever, just not the right fit for, for the business. So there are things like that, that um, it's not just about channel optimization and Google ads and Facebook and stuff believe me in any of those businesses those are the easiest things to fix fix right what's hard is people <laughs>
1: you know bad yeah, decisions with people what's hard is sales you know i mean I, I i might be skipping ahead a little bit we get into it if you want man but yeah a lot of people they they basically spent too much time and too much money and too much effort on things that don't matter when any business at all The very first thing they should go after is sales. We can say that it starts with an idea, but if I had an idea and $12,000 to spend, one of the very first things that I would do is make sure that I have paying customers that are ready for whatever I'm about to spend money on. And those paying customers don't have to know a business name. They don't have to see a logo. You know, all they have to know is that you have a product or service that you can provide that they're willing to pay for. And all the other legal mumbo jumbo that can be taken care of later.
0: Totally. So why do you believe like, you know, given all these examples we have used. Now, if you want to change the mindset of that entrepreneur or founder, right? Why do they need to think like an investor when they're building up this new venture that they are working on?
1: So an investor is, at the end of the day, an investor is gonna care about their exit. An investor is gonna care about how much money do I need to put in? What is X? How much time do you need to use that money for Y? And then when am I gonna be able to pull out Z? And you know, we talk about passion and we talk about the team and we talk about the why of building the company. And all these things matter, and they are all of great importance whenever you're talking about building a company culture, whenever you're talking about who it is that you're gonna bring on board to run the company. Uh, what, How do you want your employees to dress? Like All of these things really do matter within the confines of that company. But whenever you're going to an investor where you're really asking them to do nothing except give you money for it to be turned into more money, then you need to have logical steps in place and processes that you have already committed that you can say, because we have accomplished this with this amount of money, then we can take your amount of money, which is 10 times greater, and we can make 10 or 20 or 30 times more money So now that we all know that and we're all comfortable with our processes that duplicate X amount of income, then we can use your money in order to scale. And so scalability right there is the defining, it's the defining numbers, the defining conclusion. it, It is whatever you want to call it, scalability and the ability to take a company and grow it with capital is all an investor is there for. And so whenever you start that company, it's best to start off with a company that can be scaled without you. And Sabir, you and I talked about this last week when we were having our discovery call. Man, you, you took it a, a whole different step. I was talking about these personal trainers as an example, right? And I was like, personal trainer A goes through an entire year picking up 30 clients. And, uh, and at the end of the year, he decides that he wants to grow because he's overloaded with work and he wants to look for an investor. Well, his company is not investable because the personal trainer is the business. So my second example was, well, personal trainer B does the exact same thing, except he takes a camera with him and he records every one of his personal training you know, uh, uh, um, appointments. So now he can create curriculum. He can create online content. He can create web store. I mean, he can do all kinds of stuff. And I was like, well, that's an investable product. And then severe oh, <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> now what did you say? So I have the personal trainer that trains all year and he's broke and tired at the end of the year. Then I have the personal trainer who trains all year. He's broke and tired, but he recorded it all. How do you take it a step further, Mr. Investor? <laughs>
0: I go and uh, hire the best uh, influencer, personal trainers on the web. Uh, You know, let them, I I hire people to do the video production for me and then put a marketing machine behind it to make sure that I can sell the hell out of that, you know? Right.
1: So now I I, I
0: didn't, I don't have to even walk into the gym myself. Right.
1: Right. So you just started an investable company and you don't know anything about training. You don't know anything about picking up clients. You don't have to buy a camera. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just have to do the, you just, this is what I can bring to the table. And that's what you tell that personal trainer. Hey, man, I saw you on Instagram. I see that you're putting a lot of good content out there. Let's talk about how we can turn this into a million-dollar business. And now all of a sudden, that personal trainer is an employee for Sabir. And Sabir could go and find five or 10 or 20 of those personal trainers. And he doesn't even have to have a specific brand you can just do that with multiple personal trainers as many as you want to and let them all have their own unique individual brand that you're out there just putting the marketing dollars behind and they could all be competing against each other and they have absolutely no idea because the businessman that came up with the idea is the one behind the marketing that's what business is
0: yep i mean it could be a vegan uh, a vegan trainer uh, a cardio right. trainer, uh, a, right. I don't know, a triple athlete, Ironman a trainer, whatever you know, and all of them could be. I could have ten of them or twenty of them, and each one of them addresses a specific market. And right. I have, I may not have even stepped into a, a gym ever in my life. You know, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, somebody
1: you know? sees, somebody sees you. They're like who's that out of shape guy over there? Ah, he owns one of the biggest fitness brands on the planet, you know, like (laughs) must be good at what he's doing, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, can you share an example of a, of a business that had a successful exit because of these investment worthy strategies?
1: Yeah. So I've, uh, I've been able to help a couple of, uh, you know, I, I've been able to help a couple of small businesses. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've been helpful or responsible with any big multi-million or multi-billion dollar exit or anything like that. At least nobody's told me. You know, I usually work with companies at the beginning stages whenever they're startups and they're looking for investment capital and everything. But, uh, but yeah, so I have a, I have a buddy who's in the middle of he's in the middle of selling one of the first chat apps that came out. Uh, And what I mean by the first chat apps is they, in my opinion, they are the ones that came up with the AI chat bot. Um, And so whenever I first met him about seven or eight years ago, he had just partnered with Kroger and Kroger was like Kroger, the grocery store is like one of the, even if you open up your iPhone or your Android chat, and you, you know, if you're in your messaging and you go over to where you can select to pick chatbots, Kroger is one of the very first ones at the top. And it's because of my buddy, you know, that created his company. And so it took them years. I remember going and sitting down with him at the city of Grapevine or Grand Prairie uh, here in Texas. And we actually met with the mayor of the city. We met with the city buyer. Uh, We met with some of their human resources people and we were trying to figure out what is the best way to get the city on board with using this chatbot service uh, and how can it benefit the people in the city? And so after sitting down with the city, I mean, like. It did not make sense for the city to be paying 20 or 30 thousand dollars a month for people to. You know, for people to connect with this chatbot and say that there's a leaking manhole over here in my neighborhood, can you send somebody out? The ch- the city just had it had cheaper ways to accomplish that. You know what I mean? And so, and even though he worked with Kroger, and even though Kroger was like the first chatbot on the market, and even though he was able to obtain credit for that, Kroger wasn't paying him his company actually lost about twenty dollars or $30,000 to onboard Kroger into the chatbot system. So you fast forward all these years later and he got an exit from a big company. Uh, I don't know, I think they help people like look up stuff on the internet, all right? And so my point with him is, is even though he had, Wonderful engineers. And even though he had a great, you know, uh, great marketing where they were able to onboard clients like Kroger or entire cities, and he was hoping that his relationship with the city of Grand Prairie could evolve into a relationship with the city of Dallas and it could evolve to the, you know, to a relationship with all of the state of Texas and stadiums and all these people and all these different companies, he was going after the wrong market. Because at the end of the day, he was trying to sell for $25,000 a pop, something that we now as consumers have access to for free. So he should have been going after the big fish to start with. So you see what I'm saying? He didn't need to be going after. He created the world's first AI chatbot. He needed to be going after like big banks and Googles and Yahoos. He needed to be going after them to begin with. And so sometimes it even takes a fresh face, somebody like me or Sabir to realize that, man, there's a much bigger market that you should be going after. And that whole part of giving up control, I think one of the reasons why he was working so hard at it the way he was is because he wanted to personally be recognized for putting this chatbot AI system out on the market. Well, that's all well and good eight years later when you're still broke, whenever he realized that it doesn't matter if he gets credit at all, if he has a couple of hundred million dollars in the bank, he can go get credit for something else now. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, he would have had a bigger platform with hundred million dollars in the bank to say the man who went from zero to hundred million, you know, by building the first chat AI bot, right? right. And right. that could be his speaking platform, and he can tell that story to the rest of the world, you know. But if, right. if you if you are zero and now you're in negative territory because you're going to be personally going bankrupt because you want credit, you're going to end up hurting yourself. I think there's some some personal issues there that needs to be unpacked there, you know, and, and one, one advice, even though it's the right advice to focus on what, you know, like let's say that friend of yours, right. Uh, may have had experience working with the likes of Kroger. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's a comfort zone there when, when, right. when you feel that, or you think that, Oh, you know what, if I build this thing for Kroger, Then Stop and Shop and Walmart and all of these other guys because they'll say, oh, Kroger has it. I want to buy it. Right. Right. They're staying in that bubble. They're still staying in that comfort bubble. Not that. Oh, my God, we need to be building this for tech. We need to build it for QVC, HSN. We need to talk to Amazon about this because this is phenomenal. Right. They don't think about those things because it it goes back to that bubble and the comfort being in that bubble. Because "That's that's your only expertise.
1: He was an engineer with IBM and his sales process that he put together was trying to maximize his conversations with other engineers, with other companies. So he wasn't thinking about how can the company really use it. He was trying to stay in his comfort bubble of working with engineers and then essentially try to get engineers to be the reason why the company approves the $25,000 or the $30,000 contract
0: do you know who doesn't decide i'm an engineer by the way uh that's my background computer science okay do you know in companies who doesn't decide the fate of the budget that needs to be spent (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably
1: engineers (laughs) so
0: they do give you technical efficacy and how it 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 connects to i don't want to poo-poo on engineers I'm i'm an engineer but it's uh you know it's it's they do technical efficacy your cto is going to tell you if it integrates well with the rest of your systems and how what what is the total cost of ownership is going to be and stuff like that but the budget approval comes from somewhere else it doesn't come from that group you know they may have a, some certain allocated uh, uh, you know budgets for managing certain types of projects but it doesn't mean that they are deciding on on that which could be if it's 20, if it's $20,000 a month that's, that's quarter of a million a year, you know, in a budget, you know,
1: that's that you it's a back. huge amount.
0: That's a huge amount. Exactly. So, you know, there's another cliche, right. And and I don't want to un- unpack it with you. You know, if you want to eat an elephant and I apologize to vegans, you know, I don't, I don't I'm not going to eat an elephant. Uh, but if you eat an elephant, you, you eat it one bite at a time. You've heard that before, or a dinosaur or a gigantic giraffe or whatever, right. You, It's one yeah. bite at a time. However, deciding on kind of your short-term gains and kind of long-term vision, right? Because you have to decide on how, how to sequence those things as you're working on, on growing your business, right? Uh, how do you balance those two things? Like a short-term gain, oh, you know what? If, if I give this $10,000 to Facebook ads, it's going to turn it into $40,000, very short-term. long-term vision like you know what we need to own our manufacturing and we need to invest in 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 our own manufacturing facility over the next three to five years how do you balance those two things to build a valuable and sustainable company
1: and so a company needs to be built off of cash flow i mean cash flow is going to be most important and one of the things that and you'll agree with this i'm sure most entrepreneurs that you talk to if you ask them a question like well, why haven't you built your company yet uh, or why isn't this company so big if you think it's so great or so you know can be so successful and they tell you well i'm not really good at sales and so then you're not an entrepreneur right so you're a business owner you you're a guy that's really good at the plumbing or you're the guy that's really good at the chef and so this is not yet a business and so Whenever we come up with that concept, Sabir, it's so great how all this ties together. So awesome. (laughs) Then, when we come up with the idea for the concept of the business, then we should immediately start thinking about what am I good at and what am I not. And if something, if sales is one of those things that you're just not great at, then what you want to do is you want to find a computer program or a person that can come in. And they can help you build a sales process for that company. Uh, And what I mean by that is we have this widget. These are the customers that we want to buy it. And this is how we're going to sell it to them and onboard them. And the simpler that you can make that process, the better it's going to be for everybody involved, whether it's an investor you want to bring on later or, uh, or a, a potential sales manager you want to bring in now. And so, Whenever we start with sales, what we need to do is we need to figure out what are the what are the least amount of words that I can possibly say in order to make this happen? And I'm gonna give you like a quick example. This might not be me answering the question the way that we need to answer it or I don't know, we'll see. So I was working with this multi-level marketing company and they had this wrap that you wrapped around your stomach like and it had these all natural ingredients in it and whenever you would put this thing on your stomach for like 30 to 60 minutes, like it was supposed to shrink, like shrink your stomach. And you would you would put that around your stomach and you're supposed to do that two or three times a week as therapy. And then it would work. And since people like to lose weight without uh, doing anything for it, the, the product was selling really, really well. Um So anyway, I was standing up in front of a group of salespeople and all these salespeople were in the same group because even though they all had the title of sales associate, none of them knew how to sell. All right. And so I take this postcard. They just had some random postcard front and back on the back, on the front of it, it said this product has all natural ingredients. And then on the back, it had instructions for how to buy it. And so... I called up one of the ladies and I said, what does this product have in it? And she's like, "Uh, it has eucalyptus and I believe it has vitamin B. And then I said, nope, you're wrong. Sit down. And I called the next one up and the next lady came up and Sabir, she knew so much more than the other lady. She was like, it has eucalyptus and it has mint. It has vitamin B, vitamin B12. She lifts off everything, right? You're wrong, go sit down. So I call up a couple of more and and people are just not getting, what am I getting to? What's the point? So I hold up the postcard, right? All natural ingredients. That's what it has in here. It has this. And that's all you ever say because someone who knows more about sales and marketing put this on this piece of paper, so that literally everybody in this room that knows nothing about sales or marketing can say keywords that stick out to a potential person that allows a sale to happen. You have to have zero knowledge of what's in that product. You don't even have to know how it works. The only thing you have to be willing to know is to show them this has all natural ingredients, and then you flip over the back and here's how to order it. That's how a business is made. We don't need to overcomplicate things. And not only that, but we should immediately, immediately come up with a 60 second or less pitch that we would use an elevator pitch that we would use to bring on customers one after another, and not only can we use that 60-second elevator pitch to bring on customers, but we can teach other people that 60-second elevator pitch to where they can bring on customers without us, and our business can still grow. That right there is how you go from an entrepreneur that's really good at something to a business that can be run without the entrepreneur.
0: So I ask every guest that I have, and thank you for spending the past 55 minutes uh, on the on the subject of investment worthy, right? I ask every guest to give me their number one, $100,000 expert advice, insight into making your venture, especially what's your advice to the entrepreneurs who are going through their journey or starting their journey to, to making their ventures investment worthy?
1: Think about it from the perspective of the investor first, you know, take everything that we've talked about in this show and forget about your emotions, forget about the relationships that you might have built or destroyed while uh, putting together this business. You know, don't think about all the times that you stayed up late at night, trying to put together sales copy or, you know, arguing with a friend over a secondary color of a logo Those are not the things that matter. Think about it from a logical perspective of if I have this product and investor gives me X amount of money and then we can, you know, with Y amount of time, we can give them back Z amount of return and be able to be so damn logical in your argument for your business that you can have that conversation with somebody within a sentence or two. You know, so that 60 second elevator pitch, let's think about it from two perspectives. Let's think about it from one, the perspective of getting a client on board and then two, use that same pitch to show investors exactly why you have your X, Y, Z formula and the ability to use them. I mean, like if I come to somebody, if somebody were to come to me and they said, Jason, we need a hundred thousand dollars for our business. And I say, what's your business? And then they say. Well, my business is, is we've been giving massage clients. You know, we've been sitting down in a chair and we've been trying to do this marketing, but that didn't work. And then I got in an argument with my friend because our secondary logo was messed up. And then we lost one of our business partners. And, you know, they can sit here and they can go through all this. But as an investor, I've already tuned them out. And I already know that they're not serious about whatever it is that they want to build. If I'm sitting down with a person as an investor, then I want to be able to ask them, without hearing anything at all, I just wanna be able to ask them how much do you need and when can I get it back? What's my return gonna be? And if you can nail that down with data, you say that you know this is what we accomplished and this is what we can do for you, then you're gonna get investments all day long. Because at the end of the day, anybody that's investing money in you You're either part of a portfolio, you're part of a bigger pool of investments, or they're just specifically putting money on the line for you, but they only want a return. And so we have to take it from the perspective of, what value can I offer an investor's portfolio? Not what's my backstory, not what am I selling? I have an investor that has a million dollars to invest when can I give them back a million and a half dollars? Because that's all that really matters.
0: Definitely. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for joining us and, and sharing your wisdom. Definitely, I would highly recommend uh, visiting Jason on his website, jasoncredle.com. It has everything on there about him. And then definitely check out this book, Outgrow, uh, Become Valuable. Uh, it's definitely available on Amazon. So definitely go and, and pick that out. Thank you, uh, Jason, for being here.
1: Thank you, Sabir, for having me, brother. It's been fun. Yes. Pleasure.
0: And uh, thank you, audience, for tuning in. And uh, we have amazing guests, just like Jason, coming up. So keep on tuning in and keep on consuming this content. And And hit, hit me up if you have recommendations for any guests that you would like to see on the show. Uh, and definitely hit me up through comments or DMs on whatever your favorite platform. Thank you again, Jason.
1: All right, brother. Thanks.